the night has come, when the night has come and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, we will see. When the Welcome everyone, Lauren here. Um, we are on our 15th episode of our Weather Together podcast, it, which is a collaboration between Marnita's Table and The Back Pocket. Uh, so it's an honor to have you all with us today. And to start our show, uh, we're just going to jump into circle. We're just going to hear from all of our, our co-hosts and our co-producers and our lovely guests today. Um, so I'm going to throw it to Fun Fun to tell us just how you're doing today. I keep on saying I'm doing okay, but I'm not really sure what okay means. It just is a really, you know, okay word to use because um, how I feel today kind of changes. It could change within like a few minutes or can change later in the day. There's just a lot happening, uh, a lot going on, whether it's work or whether just being really acknowledging what's been what's happening out in the world, even just what happened last night in Minneapolis, and really trying to process that while also trying to get through my day. Yeah. Can I pass it on to Angie? Hello everyone, this is Angie. I'm from Asian Media Access. We are a nonprofit agencies uh, situated at the North Minneapolis and we have uh, hit hard by the pandemic and the riots and we also just seeing the Minneapolis downtown riot unfolding. Um, we have a very, very interesting the past the five months in homebound and we trying to opening up our office for a short period of time and then close again and then now reopen again. We're trying to adjust to all this new norm and we really feel lucky as um, uh, a nonprofit agencies, luckily supported by the governments and foundations, we can still be able to operate um, okay, as Fun Fun said. Um, I just see so many of my um, Pan Asian community, particularly business owners, go through all this difficulty and trying to figure out what to do, how to do, and at the same time sustain their uh, livelihood and support their uh, staff as well. So um, a difficult time, but looking forward to share some of those stories and how survival means now and hear more about inspirations from others. Thank you, Angie. And I'm going to pass it to Ashraf. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Ashraf. Um, I'm currently in uh, um, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. I work at the YMCA um, I recently transitioned to a new um, job um, where I'll be working with a group of people to support um, 
um, homeless youth. Um, so currently I'll be looking at two apartment buildings um, for youth who are either living here permanently or youth who are in, in transition um, and need a place to stay. So I'll be working on um, offering um, services and supporting programs um, that, you know, that could vary from you know, food to hygiene products to, um, you know, health and wellness services to um, some, uh, some programs. It, it can be a little bit difficult now with, with COVID to have some social gatherings and actually meet um, youth and, and communicate with them, but uh, I'm something I'm looking forward to. And um, I'll, be, I'll be in my office every day. Um, so I won't be really working from home, um, at least for the next few months, maybe. Um, so, um, yeah, I look forward to learn from everyone um, about some of the work that we all doing and see like what we can collaborate on. And, and, and especially when uh, regards to um, uh, vulnerable um, youth and, and youth who, who need our support and need services as well. I'll pass it to Andrew. Thank you for sharing. Um, yes, uh, anxiety is through the roof. Um, and I messaged Marnita today, um, simply relying on gratitude right now. Um, I'm super thankful and, uh, to be a part of this team. I say it every week, but more so right now. Um, this, this group, uh, for the last 15 weeks and all of 2020 has transformed my my mind, body, and spirit tenfold. And um, to have more confidence in speaking up uh, for Black Lives Matter and trying to uh, understand my white privilege has kind of stunted my growth for the majority of my life. And recognizing that and trying to open up and listen to these guests each and every week, I really do believe I've grown. Um, and recognizing the NBA, the WNBA, and some of the MLB yesterday postponing their games for the first time in history doing something like that, uh, that needs to be commended. Um, I'm honored to be here. Um, I was thinking last night, like, do, do I belong in this group? Should, like, is, is this something that I should be participating in because I have um, experienced so much privilege. And I, and I was gonna message Lauren and Marnita and say, I think I should sit this one out because of, of um, Jacob Blake's murder and things that are happening around the world. Um, I don't feel like my voice should be heard. Um, and I, then, you know, I quickly countered that with, no, that, the, that going back to something that was pushed with um, George Floyd's murder, silence is violence, and being open and honest and trying my best to share my belief and how I can be a part of the solution is very important. So I'm happy to be here, and I'd like it to pass to Marnita. Hi. It's such an honor to be here. And as I said, this is a somber day, and I, I am challenged today because I am... I feel in some ways we're back in 1968, for those of us who are old enough, who are parents who talk about 1968 and the uprisings in 1968. And I've been doing a lot of study about the need that, that quite frankly, being a thorn in somebody's side sometimes gets action. Um, 
and I am challenged by fear, by exhaustion at this moment. Um, by having to convince people that I, that I'm not histrionic, <laughs> that things actually um, happen to us as black and brown people. If you notice, we always have a lot of people at the table of all different, everybody. We have a, a true belief at the table and I think all of you have been around the table and know our model enough to know that um, we really walk our talk and we believe everybody at the table is actually equal and we make a goal of making people feel truly welcome no matter what their circumstance um, as long as they um, actually come with generosity and gratitude, right? Asraf often joins us now or has in the past for our dialogue on gratitude, which is on Thanksgiving Day. Angie and Steve for years joined us on Thanksgiving Day um, and and had that dialogue about what it, what it means to be grateful. And I, I get tired of explaining um, the disparity and why there is despair about the disparities in our community. Um, and at, at one of our past podcasts, I think it may have even been number seven, seven or eight, um, but Sam Nadelli was our guest and he shared that the issue of wage theft in the United States uh, amongst the, of, of money earned by the poor and kept by their employers dwarfs all property crime in the country. Um, and so yes, property crimes are horrible and I don't want my property damaged and I, I've worked hard for what I have and yet it is not worth the two lives that were lost to protesters in Kenosha. And I am tired of hearing that the young man who came with a gun, the 17 year old who came with a gun had every right to be fearful that I am not supposed to be fearful when for more than 450 years, people in my country have written laws that deny me access and equal protection under the law. Um, and that, that we have to have a conversation about the difference between human lives and I sneezed, human lives and property and what it means to value lives. Um, there was a front page storage in the New, New York Times this last week that said that just in redlined communities, that there, they haven't been redlined since the 60s in some cases, um, those neighborhoods are 10 to 15 degrees hotter than neighborhoods that weren't redlined right next door. And that the life expectancy was, could be 20 years different from 83 years down to 63 years. Um, and, and in fact, those, 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 those are aggregate numbers, right? You know, that they're, they're averages, which means that, yes, are there some people in redlined communities who live to be 90? Um, and some whose lives are cut way too short. But we don't really talk about the cost of those things. Those are violent things. The, the kids that are having to go to the food um, bank, um, fun fun, that's violence against young people. 
Um, and Ashraf, I know you have to roll off and you only have a few minutes left. I'm sorry, we had technical difficulties. So I actually want to turn the floor over to you until you have to walk away. So talk to me about what your goal is and what, how many youth, what are you seeing on the streets right now? And then we'll jump to our other guest. Okay, yeah, so, um, so I start, so this is my fourth day today. Um, today well, we is- We want you back after you've been there longer, so. Yeah, yeah, doing, I'll, I'll be here. So, um, so today's actually my first day on site. Um, so the, my understanding is that in the apartment building that I'm in, um, the homeless youth here um, uh, um, have uh, some either um, a disability or a health issue from my understanding. So that's something that I would, be, I would like to focus on and, and spend a quality time to, to learn for, from youth about you know, their concerns, how they're doing, um, and see you know what what kind of support that um, we could offer here for them. Um, so um, yeah, so one of the things that I've learned, for example, like yesterday, I was at a, a webinar um, organized by a group of of, of youth. Um, I think there are six or seven youth organizers um, from the state of Minnesota, um, and I asked a question like, "What is the main?" Um, issue um, that that youth are struggling with right now and um, food security um, was was a big one um, and um, and that's for youth in general um, we're not talking about homeless youth um, with you know exactly what their concerns are and what they're struggling with um, so my goal is, um, and I've been talking to one of my colleagues here, is, um, you know, I, I would like to make my office a welcoming um, space. So I'd like to, uh, you know, decorate it, put some plants, um, have some coffee, um, and make it inviting to people who walk by, especially youth, um, because I would love to meet them and talk to them in person and uh, let them know who I am and what I do. Um, and then hopefully like plan something that um, that is going to be with them um, and uh, bring some some supplies and anything that they that they may need in order to to move forward and then hopefully like succeed in, in their life um, and whatever that is for them. Um, so that's that's my goal, at least for the next few days is to to decorate my office It's really simple. I, I really wanted to make it really inviting to, to anyone who would feel like comfortable just to sit around and, and enjoy a conversation with me. And so are you um, seeking like what what are, are you looking for just finding things that you think will really appeal to the young people or what is your making it a welcoming way yeah so so i'm assuming that everyone likes coffee so i would like to have like a, a coffee machine i know that we have like a, um, a kitchen here community kitchen but it's not um as far as i know it's not uh, accessible um because of of covid so having like a you know, like a coffee machine where I can like grind my own coffee and have like a nice smell so people can walk in the morning and maybe grab a cup of coffee before they go to- Oh, I think Marnita's work. table needs to donate a, a a tea kettle, like a hot electric tea kettle. Yeah. A selection of teas for you, for those of us who do not drink coffee, okay, but want okay. to feel welcome. Thank you, so Juanita. Coffee is not our for take. 
Okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> so work when, on the coffee and you can bring me some tea. Okay, how about that? Okay. That would, would be lovely. Um, yeah, and like some, some information as well about the work I do and have like a, you know, a nice share space, some plants and things like that. Um, um, because I can, you know, you can imagine if you're like someone who's like really struggling and your day is just like stressful every, you know, single minute, uh, you know, it's nice to walk by an office space where you can smell something nice that reminds me of being calm. It could be like tea or coffee or um, an oil infuser or a flower, whatever it is, because I would really like to know the youth that I'm that I'll be working and serving um, and that's uh, that's one way I'm thinking about is, is to to make my space um, um, uh, generous and, and open to everyone you have an address we can would love to publish it and at least I think some physical site would be very helpful um, which will welcome them to a certain period of time your yeah. office will open and then um, particularly for the food insecurity we also having a lot of uh, problems I think one of the huge issue is there's never ever have a steady site when we when we be able to support uh, food um, for our young people. So we have to uh, rotate to different sites, um, different schedule. So it's harder for them to remember Monday I have to go to where. So this is really a continuous struggle for all the, our service provider. We're trying to publicize regularly at uh, Facebook, social media, so to remind our young people, but the information and the system to set up is so complex. So it's just really hard for them. And then we have a lot of um, young people from my end for Southeast Asian refugee youth a lot of the cold sandwiches is not their favorite. So it's, um, and well, and it's very expensive for us to provide the hot food. We starting to do some hot food uh, services a um, couple months ago and we have to stop. It's just a tremendous um, expenses. So hopefully, jointly with you, we would be able to at least smooth some of those anxiety. And then I want to, fun fun, jump in. This is your area, yeah. like specifically. I, I am jumping in. Yeah, I work for the food group and we're a food bank. Um, and what we've been doing, it's been really kind of crazy ever since COVID hit and then the riots. And now with um, um, the unemployment, uh, the extra $600 unemployment, and then now the evictions are gonna also expire. So it's just been one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And it's been a, a real like roller coaster ride in terms of how the, uh, the food bank and the food shelves have had to support. Uh, it really upended, at least for the food group, I'll speak about the food group because that's where I work. It really upended our thinking about how we can support the communities that we want to support and have been supporting. Um, it was really obvious to us in the very beginning that, um, you know, we're, 
it's not appropriate for us to just jump into the communities and say, oh, we have the food, here's the food, this is how we're going to do it, we'll set it up this way, everyone can come and get it and so forth. Uh, we realized pretty much immediately that it, it, we really needed to hear what the community was saying on how we could show up. And what we heard from them really was uh, just, uh, pretty much supporting in terms of what kinds of foods we can provide. Yeah, and how we can provide it and trying to really work according to the schedules that the community needed in terms of how they wanted to do their distributions. Uh, the types of foods that they wanted to have show up. Um, it's really complicated. It's really hard to do. Yeah, unfortunately, our food bank doesn't do cooked foods. Uh, we do uh, produce. We do uncooked, you know, uncooked frozen foods. All the different foods that you can use to, to make your own meal. Canned foods, non-perishables. Um, so the way we've been, uh, we've been pushing out a lot of food and supporting all types of community members. Um, just um, we caught we caught rapid response because it's how fast we have to work in terms of hearing what's needed and then just trying to get it out there. Um, um, but even on our end, you know, we have our there are things on our end that makes it hard for us to even go as fast as we want, like in terms of how much transportation we have, uh, how, we, how, how we can fit the need into our route. Our trucks can only fit so much. So it's really, really hard for us when we know that we could, if we could just shove another pallet into our truck, we can get more food out to this other location, but realizing we can't grow the truck, that kind of thing. Um, so I just wanted to push out there what, what we do. And uh, if there's anything valuable that I said there that could be helpful to you in terms of reaching out to the food group to let us know how we can support, um, we would really like to hear from you. Hey, Fun Fun, this is Angie. Um, we have been seeing the stuff from the different food bank and food shelf and we um, working with the sample church to trying to support uh, the Asian community. So at the church, we trying to do our best. For example, um, this group of food will go to the Asians, um, to the Asian group, Pan-African group, African-American group. So we separate them into the different rooms and we packaging them. And then we push those uh, things out there. So um, for example, African-Americans will come on Saturdays uh, to pick up some of the food and supplies. And I'm helping the Asians American community with tabling at the temples to give out those uh, food shelf items. But I have to tell you, it's not popular at all. So for example, we got so many cereals. So um, not many Asian family eat cereals. And then the canned foods, the beans, those things, it's really not their favorite. Um, I have to really have families looking through all the different prepackaged uh, 
back to pick up the things they like. So we have to return those uh, a lot of food, um, dry food back to the church, say, no, this is not what um, the community like. So unfortunately, but we just don't have other things that, that community would take. So that's why we start to offer the the hot food, but it's just you totally right. It's just so expensive, so complicated. Uh, we won't be able to operate without a consistent funding support. So, for example, we just wondering, would you guys have any budget be able to consolidate to purchasing some of the culturally appropriate food? Yeah, uh, right now, uh, we're actually closing out our fiscal year, but uh, I do have uh, something that I want to talk to you about, though. That doesn't mean that uh, we can't help out. Um, one thing that uh, the food group does, because we're really aware of how uh, food shows up in food shelves and how other food banks have made food show up in other food shelves, where it's it's the norming of the food where you think that everyone's eating this mainstream diet. And that goes into the whole thing of how equity doesn't show up in our food system. And it certainly then uh, kind of streams through, right? And, and so equity not showing up in our food system. It, it, if you think about people donating food to a food shelf, uh, you know, corporations, food uh, corporations being asked for donations where they get a tax break. You think of farmers being, you know, the surplus uh, program that, that where the government is paying farmers for their surplus, where that system isn't really talking about feeding people so much as um, paying farmers for their excess. So it's not really thinking about people's health so much of, as to how you're moving food economically. So that gets all filtered down into our, into our uh, food system. And it certainly shows up right very clearly in our hunger relief system, uh, which, you know, is even, it's, to me, it's really kind of sad and maybe ironic that we have a hunger relief system because uh, if I get on my soapbox, I'm saying we don't have a, uh, we have an abundance of food. What we don't have is a way to get it to people in a way that they want it, the way they need it, the way it would be healthy for them. And health, I also argue, uh, isn't just nutritional health. It's also cultural health, right? When you see the food that you want to eat, that nurtures you, that reminds you of what you ate in your childhood, uh, that. It also has, I have to admit, a lot of foods that have better nutritional quality than the processed foods we have. Those are the types of foods that the food group believes should actually be showing up in food shelves. Uh, and that is one thing that we do actually focus on um, uh, in terms of what we deliver to food shelves to give out to people. Um, I'm hearing you uh, in terms of you know, getting the boxes um, and I'm not sure who, uh, uh, which uh, food providers that you're going to and which food banks that you're partnering with. Um, but for ourselves, when, when we're asked to partner or to show up for community, uh, we, we ask community leaders or the food shelf leaders, you know, who's this food for? And then we, we then uh, look at our inventory and, and pull up the culturally relevant foods 
you know, along with some of the more mainstream foods, because, you know, people do need sugar, they do need uh, spices, they need these general basic things in a pantry. But if we're serving a community that's uh, uh, Asian, we might be uh, putting out like bamboo shoots, uh, giving out water, you know, these ingredients that actually makes up a a more uh, culturally relevant diet. Uh, so we are uh, really cognizant of that, and that's really rare, as I hear from that other food banks actually think about, but it's one of our focuses. And um, there's a lot of um, details in getting, um, getting food out if you're interested in getting some from us. So, maybe, uh, so I'm not going to put that in here as part of our conversation, because I don't think anyone wants to hear me ask you about, you know, what, what time should our truck driver come to you, or where do we drop off in your door, you know, that, those kind of things, but uh, I'm going to put my email in, in the uh, chat so that you can find me, and also my phone number for that. And we call that meet, don't cheat, fun, fun. If you remember, you are meeting, not cheating your guests, where we make you get to know each other and then you go out and do your thing together and we improve Uh the system through our relationships. Uh I love that. That is powerful. I know Azraf had to jump off for a second. So I love that, that that connection was just made and that you guys can talk about... um, ways to because yes food we are not monolithic about the food we like or eat even within a culture but certainly not across culture and um that has been an extraordinary uh, an extraordinary proposition during covid um besides cultural responsivity and which is not a small thing it's huge talk more about you know, Angie, what are your youth experiencing at Asian Media Access? Um, you know, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? How are, how are you responding as an organization to where we are right now? How are we all weathering together is the question. Thanks. Um, this is Angie again from Asian Media Access. We starting to host it um, every Friday youth forum. So we usually have about um, 15 to 20 youth join us every week. Um, We have a different subject and topic to help them to um, discuss among the peers and relieve some of the anxiety. At one of the COVID-19's conversations, one of our young people have to uh, quit um, the retail job because of the COVID and the families really worried having the individual working at a high traffic areas um, may bring the COVID back to the house. Regardless, definitely each store has its safety precautions. Um, and the youths have to quit because of the family consideration and they don't want to adding on the anxiety back into the family. And a couple of our young people has a difficulty to um, be able to access the internet 
and because of the slowness of their um, providers, um, they just, one of my girls just crying, just really talking about she wants to get in, wants to hear, wants to learn, but cannot. And then um, the family has a very limited ways to be able to help. And even we can say, go sign up with Comcast. They would, they would give you wider uh, bandwidth and with a limited decreased uh, price, but the families just won't be able to having the manpower be able to even take care of that. So a lot of things we've been seeing um, easy for mainstream community to do. For example, we've been definitely, they are willing to support us to give a, us the laptop to support the learning, give us a funding to support the broadband um, expansion. But it's, they just don't have anybody at the household be able to help them to set it up. So ended up we starting to thinking about, okay, so next step, instead of providing the funding, providing the devices, we really need to having to have a support team to do the house calls. So to show up to be able to provide some of those technical support, maybe really is what the young people and the family is needed to release that anxiety because it's so complicated for them how to call the services to set up mom and dad it's hard to for them to do that and then the young people won't be able to connect to internet with any problems that would be difficult to figure out so we really starting a lot of things going back to the basic. We still need that human connection to support each other. We have to show up at the door to really support them instead of remotely. So we looking into a different stage besides closing down the office, open remotely, going into the office in different dates. Um, now we're starting to thinking about, we have to providing some of the maybe digital technology team to be able to providing some of the in-house services to help them to set everything up so they can start to learn. So it's just really, uh, really a new, ideas how to do the services. I think I heard you, Fan Fan, it's just so rapid. We have to change, we have to upgrade, we have to really support the community in in a seconds because they just like you can hear my girls crying and is so frustrated for her and then you just tell her we are housebound, we won't be able to support, but I can talk to you. So a lot of time those, um, it doesn't mean much. So I think we have to really starting to find a way to protect ourselves, to protect our families, but at the same time still reaching out the best we can. We, we just cannot be not responding, not seeing 
persons not be able to holding hands for our use. It's just a lot of those situations you cannot solve remotely. So we've been discussed with our staff. We have, we just need to find a way to, to make that happen as well. And we do have a lot of fear uh, among our staff members as well. Just worry if we do that, what could happen? We're increasing so much contact, what could happen? So it's going to be ongoing discussion, but we'd love to hear some others' experience you well, may have. One of the things that I'm hearing, and Angie, I would love it. I don't know if you could, I would love to have you have a put a picture up or even to see your face. I haven't seen your face for so long. Um, but there is, I, I have to say, as I'm hearing you talk and Marnita's table within four days went digital and we've had more than 5,000 people to digital intentional social interactions. Normally the amount that we have at the mother table in a year, we've had since March. Um, and I think fun fun, like, you know, the demand has just been explosive. And so um, this topic was really about how wealth, uh, how health and well and wealth, uh, to be honest, because, you know, the fact is when you have money to be able to buy, you know, hire two more people, get more, to get that flatbed, to be able to, um, take that pallet out and get the food out. It's not even that the problem is the food. It's just the uh, access to the vehicle. Um, I'm, I'm hearing the stress that we're all under as people of color, as people who actually maybe decided to serve our, in our communities. And, you know, I, I think somebody, even before we went on air today said, well, you know, we're, I used to be able to get a half an hour between meetings. And now, you know, I've been in meetings now on Zoom since 7.30 this morning. And I think all of us are kind of in the same position. Um, how, are you guys doing anything for yourselves to take care of you? Like, or is there anything that is helping you stay healthy and well? Fun, fun? Yeah, I know, I know that I almost broke. <laughs> I mean, literally almost broke. Uh, earlier on, like March, April, May, there's no break and it was very, very intense. And I felt like I needed to keep going, keep going, keep going because of what was coming, you know, the need and also really, really wanting to support. But it took almost breaking and then saying, okay, I'm gonna have to take a few days off for me to realize that, you know, I'm not gonna be any good for any, for any help if I break. So having experienced that, I, I've been more intentional in terms of like paying attention to what it feels like and knowing, okay, this is the edge and I'm feeling the edge. And then kind of talking myself down in terms of, okay, if I don't keep going, it means this, this particular uh, food distribution, I can't help them, that kind of thing. And just like backing up on the guilt, there is guilt there in terms of realizing, okay, I really have that privilege, right? I've had, of not having to go to a food shelf. I get to go home and make myself a meal. Uh, I don't have to uh, think, oh, if this, if this delivery of food doesn't make it to this food shelf the next day, they're not gonna be able to give enough food and so forth. And, and to me, that's really a lot of pressure. And finally, I just had to realize that I, you know, I need someone else to step in, like passing the baton so that it isn't like, and this has been discussed in our organization too, of realizing, okay, everyone is going at full speed. So everyone's gonna collapse at the same time, <laughs> right? So maybe we better off if 
you know, many of us go at full speed, but some of us are taking some time off and then we can pass the baton, kind of pass it on to the next person so the other person doesn't break. So what I've done is really um, uh, take the time to eat breakfast. I mean, that's so basic, but that wasn't even in it. Uh, take the time to uh, pause before a meeting that I know might be hard. Um, having the meetings be back to back to back to back, realizing, okay, I, every once in a while, I just don't show up for a meeting. They don't know why I'm not showing up, but I, I think that's self-care. Um, going for a walk in my neighborhood, um, and when I go for a walk in my neighborhood, I'll actually email or text my coworkers and say, I'm taking this half hour off. I've turned off all my electronics. You're not going to be able to reach me. Because it was that intense where people were trying to reach me in all these different ways. And all of them were needs that I could see really, really needed to be met. But that's just not ideal. Um, and, you know, I think most important to me is just also realizing that I have, I have uh, family members and friends that at the end of the day, if it's, if I'm feeling like really, really bad and there's something that I really do need to talk out. And even if I, if, even if I sound like I'm going to be the biggest jerk or I'm going to sound like I'm whining or whatever, uh, that is so important to me to just be able to reach out to people uh, and, and just say what I need to say. Uh, that all is what I'm doing. Oh, and my garden. I have a community garden plot and that has been um, one of the best things this summer because I'll just go out there and I'll look at what I'm growing. And food is so nurturing. Food is you know, nurturing in the growing of it, um, taking it, making some of, something of it, sharing it. Um, I've been really intentional about that part of it too. That's how central, how core food is to me in terms of where it is in my heart and, and where it is in terms of how it relates to why it's important in my heart. Because food actually to me doesn't mean a whole lot if I can't in some way actually um, have someone else experience it. Or, have, or use it as something where uh, I'm inviting someone or welcoming someone or including someone. It's also a door to have these conversations where um, you have that commonality of sharing a meal and then you can just talk about things. Uh, and sometimes it breaks things open just because, because of that particular pie I baked or you know, or whatever. Uh, so I would say uh, using food as caretaking also. So what, it, uh, the, the, Angie, are you doing anything for you? I'm hearing a lot about what you're doing for the community and Asian Easy Access is such a stalwart in the community. Um, what are you doing for you? How are you staying healthy and well? What are you doing? Um, and no, what would help I'm not you? doing well. <laughs> um, I think I'm definitely uh, overwhelmed, but um, we're trying to really increasing some of those workload um, 
in such a rapid way. And we definitely know uh, we have to definitely take care of self and slow down. But sometimes it's just um, because we are in it. So you hear it, you've you been able to um, see your youth and family suffered. So sometimes it's just very hard to stop. So I think I don't do enough for the self-care, but at least um, I think definitely I would trying to listen to the music and taking a hush touch and relax and really eating a good meal and chat more with family members just to release the pressure and get away from the work for a little bit. Um, it's just it's just a lot of those, not just for Asian community, we have the cross-cultural collaboration with African-American community as well. So we really hope is how can we help to be able to share resources, share information. So um, it's overwhelmed and not healthy, but we hope is if we can work a little harder and we can and the pandemic a little sooner. So if you don't mind, actually, I want to hear from Andrew. I would love to, um, Andrew, we share a lot of similarity, although from Asian American communities, we do having a lot of privilege as well. And in our community, we do have a lot of uh, informal talk about the anti-blackness. So our community is really um, as guilty as every other community. And I would love to share some of my thoughts with you as well and hear some of your um, way to really looking into yourself and be honest. And I used to do a lot of things say, I will tell you how I feel. If it's offended, I'm really sorry. But I starting to realize how stupid I am. I'm already offended because I know the the things I'm going to say is is maybe offensive. So I say that to protect myself, not protecting them. So but on the other hand, um, I feel if I don't say those things. I may not starting an honest discussion. So I have a lot of time um, I learned, I unlearned, I relearned. So I don't have any good suggestions for you neither. But I feel if I can continue to learn how to open up a difficult conversation, I would be able to support my community and the cross-cultural community better. So that's my question to you. How do you open up for a difficult conversation to recognizing your privilege, but at the same time still comforting for others? Yeah, no, thanks for sharing how your little tips and tricks. Um, it's a learning process. And I know that I have not done it the best, but through these last 15 weeks, like I mentioned, this is our 15th week of releasing a podcast. Um, 
I really think it hit home when George Floyd was murdered and um, people called the, for the back pocket to um, stand up. We claim to be the voice of, the, of Minneapolis of Minnesota um, and people reached out to us and say, you need to say something, you need to stand. Um, never been presented prior. Um, using social media and using this platform, um, noticing that listening um, above all else um, will win and then being open and honest. So using the simple phrase, once someone or when someone asks you to share your opinion, um, I firmly believe I stand with the black community and I am ready to learn and listen how my white privilege how myself has my flaws can um, turn into positives. Um, we had a three, three and a half hour podcast with two um, people of color in the Twin Cities. And I think I may have said five minutes worth of, of words. And in, I sat there for three hours and I, tr I truly tried my best to learn and hear how people how these, uh, how Io and Aaron um, in their late 20s, early 30s as black men have struggled with police, have struggled with um, social pressures and sitting here for an hour and editing these podcasts, truly listening and trying to recognize how I feel in those moments and then practicing my best to share those, those thoughts. Um, so many times I probably do it incorrectly, but I won't learn if I sit here in silence. Um, so uh, vaguely answering your, uh, how, your question and, and doing my best to um, participate in Black Lives Matter and help communities that are unheard. I, I want to throw this out. Um, Andrew, I had the pleasure of meeting Andrew and his partner, partner Declan, um, actually in December of last year, when one of our board members, Phil Shao, who, by the way, both of you, fun, fun, well, all of y'all on the call, because it's a great vegan meal for Lauren um, on, in the grid, and Andrew will love it when we all go back in the room. Um, Phil Shao and I do uh, 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 Chinese New Year's. I make hot pot, and he does um, dumplings, uh, both uh, pork pork and napa cabbage and vegan dofu ones and so um we ate so many of them we almost exploded but he um we lost our podcaster last year in december and um phil we're having dinner literally the night after and he said you need to meet my friends um and we met each other and we kind of started talking and we we'd opened a conversation and knew we wanted to work with each other and when everything went under in March, we had already had a couple of meetings. Like it wasn't, um, we have a thing, we go to Hoban. <laughs> we go to Hoban, <laughs> we have Korean barbecue and we have a conversation and it's our thing. We do this and we've done it more than once. So it's our thing, it's a ritual. Yes, um, it's my too. <laughs> oh, we love it. Well, see again, when we all go back in real life, we'll all be able to do these things together. Um, and I can smell that barbecue smell from you, from the camera. <laughs> I love that. Um, and we had already been talking, but we, you know, we, it was, uh, well, we'll get, we'll get to that in the quarter, right? We'll start doing that, you know, within the next six months kind of thing. And then 
quite frankly, on March 16th, which was the day after my birthday, um, we went under, you know, everybody closed, everybody went in their doors and um, we had to cancel our first event in, in Fort Bend, Texas. And I, I called together my team and we called Andrew and Declan and um, we had never done something we considered a community cast before. I mean, we'd done a couple podcasts, but they weren't that well done and um, they were okay. Um, but we called them and we, we, we got our whole team together. There was like 14 of us on the Zoom. And I said, okay, so we need to do this and we want to be available to the community and we want to lift up voices that aren't being heard. And like, how long will that take? And pretty much on the, cons the consensus on the team was that'll take four weeks to six weeks to do well. And I said, great, can we start by Friday at 11 o'clock? <laughs> and they all said, uh, I was like, yeah, so we're going to be starting Friday at 11. Okay. That's, that's so great for the whole four weeks thing, but we don't have, and it really did. It was what saved the organization to some degree. And we actually think when we go back into real life, that 25% of our events will actually be digital, um, because it does another thing. It, it, it gives more platform to people of color, but there were there, uh, some moments in this, Angie, you know, like we are all learning from each other. And I think that one of the things when dominant culture folks run things and talk about having community at the table, you know, they often make it white and then whoever the other culture is, right? So it's white people, white wealthy people and the poor. And they're, they're kind of an amorphous conglomerate, right? So that you don't get to think about whether this culture or that culture would prefer bean sprouts versus okra, right? Like that those things might be both accessible um, and, and, and differently needed. Um, that that what it means to be inclusive and culturally responsive um, and how equity plays into those things, but then also the equity across communities, right? Um, and that we aren't often encouraged to talk to each other, right? To actually say, to talk about ourselves as I'm a black person, I'm a woman, you know, intersectionality. <laughs> you know, we have this word called intersectionality. Um, but, and how do you be authentic? Um, and to me, and what was interesting about Andrew and Declan in our work with them was they leaned in. I mean, like, I think on one of the very first podcasts we did or community cast, a young person who works for us, Nandi, who you know, I think Angie, who's been coming to the table since she was nine and we hired her this summer. Um, she came on and we introduced the back pocket and she, you know, I, it was, it, the, the fact is the back pocket didn't do this because of George Floyd. They had already been in talks with us and had already been working with us since March. Um, and we had a whole plan, a strategic plan of how many, when we were going to start the podcast, which was, um, and so that that's it, you know, to actually do the work. If I would to give anybody advice of any color of culture of socioeconomic group, do the work, lean in. You're, you're sometimes going to say things that are uncomfortable. Um, sometimes you might have an inside joke with one person that another person's uncomfortable about. I have to tell you, I, my son is very uncomfortable. We did a whole food show one night and it was before things had gotten really dark. So it was before George Floyd, it was before the uprising. Um, and it was with Coco and um, Lala. And we made everybody name themselves a food name. And so like I was, mm, and other people, you know, and all we were talking about is what we love to eat and what gave us comfort during this time. Um, if we, and a lot of people are, are growing and in their kitchens. And um, 
Andrew, Andrew was white chocolate. <laughs> and so every once in a while, if we have more than one Andrew, I'll just default to that. And I just had somebody say to me, you know, I'm very uncomfortable and that's really uncomfortable. Um, and are you sure that Andrew's comfortable with that? And, um, you know, and so sometimes there is this moment of have we, what is actually hurtful or not hurtful or for whom and how? And I mean, I, I think that there's the personal and then there's the systemic um, and how do we work within a system and still be our individual selves. And I probably just said all that way too much, but I'm going to throw this back to Lauren. I can tell Lauren's thinking all sorts of things and has questions to ask. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about a lot actually, as you all are talking, um, just th thinking about self-care and healthy living, um, you all are reminding me of an experience that I had recently. I ride my bike a lot and this guy stopped me, an older white guy stopped me and said, how are you doing? Um, and just said, we need to be better to our black brothers and sisters. And so that's why I'm checking in on you. Um, and then he sped off. But before he sped off on his bike, he said that he was a 70 year old man um, and that, you know, he, the way that he's staying healthy is by being on his bike. And it was fascinating because in my head, all I was thinking was, I don't know any person of color, like not Asian, not black, not Latinx, a 70 year old who could bike with me and keep up and how in his head, racism was not checking in on me and in my head racism was the disparities and how I'll probably never see that in my lifetime um and so I really I thank you both for the work that you're doing and just keeping people nourished and healthy um and you know we think about the uprisings and the protests and really all of that is in response to, you know, not just one person dying, it's in response to generations of, of oppression and not having employment, not having health, not having education, uh, not having access to food. And so the work that you all is, are doing is incredibly important as it relates to the movement um, and, I think that sometimes telling the truth is self-care in itself and telling the truth is really all that you need to do to like lean in and be someone's ally. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know if, if there are opportunities, like how would, how would you, how would you want somebody else to lean into supporting you and supporting your culture? Because every single day I'm also getting a video um, <laughs> that is racist towards, towards Asian folks uh, as it relates to COVID. Uh, there was a video sent to me yesterday by one of my black friends. Uh, it, I think it was maybe some sort of sports leader who uh, was on a Zoom call that got released and uh, there was a, an Asian man on the on the phone call who was hesitant to say that he was from Wuhan. Um, and then the man made a joke about it, not necessarily realizing how hurtful that could be. And so my question is, how do you, how would you want other folks to show up for you and be allies in this moment? 
Now there are two fun buzzers. This is, no, this okay. is a really uh, a good question. Um, I think for us, um, we not afraid of difficult discussion. We are afraid of no discussion. And that's, unfortunately, that's uh, really hard for our community to have a discussion because of our upbringings. So much shy, much humble, and try not to disturb the peace. So I think when we come to Asian American communities, I would appreciate you would just tell us, um, welcome us first. So we always want to be acknowledged, invite to the conversation, and then in really acknowledge there is no right or wrong answer, but we welcome all feelings because a lot of our community recognizing we do have the privilege comparing with others, people of color, and they are afraid to acknowledge that. So I think by inviting, opening, and welcome as an ally and let the community know, you know, it's the only wrong is not speaking up and not sharing and and to afraid of discuss those topics is normal so invite them in wait for their response and encourage them to share their true feeling we would be really appreciate because we do need a lot of hand holdings in our community to start the difficult questions and we already start our community Filipino groups uh, Japanese American groups um, Asian Indians very active already vocal out to support the Black Lives Matters. So I think our community is starting and we would love to be invited to join the conversation like this and really being encouraged to share our true feeling and recognizing we definitely have certain privilege as well and how we can be part of the solution. Yeah, I can, I can kind of kick it in there. There's not a lot more I want to add to that, but I would value, um, how do I put it? I, I would value just naming it that, um, that we, sh we should be part of the conversation. I would really like to hear that invitation. Um, I'm just gonna talk about myself and maybe not the community at large because I feel more comfortable framing it in that rather than speaking for other people. But, um, but recognizing for myself that it's, it's a difficult conversation in, in terms of myself thinking, I'm gonna say all the wrong things and so forth, but a conversation I personally welcome. Uh, I think what's holding me back is maybe my, my Asian pattern of thinking, oh, maybe I'm gonna, maybe I shouldn't say this and wait for the other person to say it first so that I'm sure that they're comfortable talking about it. This whole thing of 
making other people comfortable. And the other thing I think that's holding me back is realizing, oh, is it really time for me to be like having this conversation? Uh, maybe I should sit back and and really support. I should be in the supporting uh, part of this, of really wanting to hear other voices and um, and supporting um, that Black lives really matter to me, and just really understanding why um, the narrative isn't including me now, uh, while I really actually would like to have that conversation. So I think for myself, I'm also a little confused of how to jump in, um, if that makes any sense uh, to you. Uh, so I'm working it in my brain. So so having having uh, an actual voice to welcome would be such a great opening in terms of uh, how I would understand how to like enter into that conversation. Um, and I'm, I'm still working that through, right? Is it working it through why, why I'm having that cultural experience of wondering, you know, should I be inserting? I'm very confused. Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. I think that it's interesting that you said um, <laughs> that you you hold back for other people. And <laughs> I I think that a lot of people of color do. I know that I 100% do. Even when he was asking me how I was, I didn't tell the truth because I thought, well, you can't handle it. <laughs> um, and how not telling that truth, you know, perhaps uh, prevents us from from getting on the road in some ways. And I, I think that I, I'm the same way when it comes to engaging with um, people of other cultures. There's, there's the only hesitation is that um, I don't want to disrupt a space that was made for them to feel comfortable. Um, and, and you're right, it, it's the invitation piece. And so thank you for, for voicing that because it's something that I, I also struggle with as well. And it's making me realize that I, I need to do more inviting um, of my friends of different cultures into my world. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I, I know that we have a little bit of time left and I'm curious uh, to know more about Asian media access and the work that you're doing with the students specifically as it relates to technology. Um, I think that Andrew would be interested in this as well. Uh, because of the work that he's doing, but I'm just curious as to to what they're learning because obviously uh, <laughs> that is a very valuable skill to have right now, and I'm guessing moving forward. Um, and so, yeah, what what are they learning? What are they working on as it relates to media and tech? I'm I'm just curious because I'm I'm a geek when it comes to those things, and I think it's really cool. Thanks so much. Um, this is Angie from Asian Media Access. We also has this roller coaster ride about online um, teaching. So you will think it's 
easy, right? So a lot of um, multimedia curriculum already up in the digital. So we would be able to just really utilizing the existing lesson plan through online and we'll sell through. It's just very hard to teach the storytelling without uh, interperson connection. So I have my instructor to go through the regular curriculum. It doesn't work. So we have to revise. And we have uh, front end web design trainings through EDX. We have to revise it. It's just so hard to teach the coding online. And finally, this um, couple weeks, we landed with Animaker. We're using an existing animation platform with template, which already existing way of storytelling. So young people can follow using the template and insert their own messages, work out the best for us because they starting to utilizing the template and see how the template telling the story. So they would be able to utilizing that to create the climax, create the transition and having a solution. So they starting to see it. So when we're trying to teach the storytelling using the PowerPoint, it doesn't work because it's just, it's just not really having a real life example to make them click. So after so many different tryouts, we finally be able to do some of the animation training and complete a cohort successfully last week. So out of all this five months, we did this wrong and finally be able to find a platform which will support the young people, but at the same time to increasing their technology skills. And a lot of my young people already utilizing that uh, animation to do corporate info videos and to do their uh, share as their home uh, animation video share with their relative when they won't be able to see each other. So I think we have a good multimedia curriculum and platform now. So we're going to do more uh, for another September. Another cohort will start. Hopefully we're also selling through much smoothly than the other. And we're also interesting, Andrew, would love to connect with you and Lauren. We, we want to having that social media managers. I think that would be really a cool career pathway for young people to instead of just be the user, but starting to really utilizing their skills, be able to managing social media, to do posting, to selecting what would be a good themes uh, to do and how they follow followers and check their clicks and likes. I think that would be a cool career pathway to share with our young people during the pandemic so they can learn some backgrounds as well. So I will come back to you too and check out to see if we have some good lesson plans we can share. Thank you so much for sharing. I, 
as we lean into technology in every aspect of our life, I think it's just really cool to hear what other people are doing and how we can incorporate it. Um, and I know that we're coming close to time, but I, I want to give a shout out to Ashraf and see if he is there with us. Um, and if you would like to share any last words. Hey, everyone. Yes, I am. I want to see your face, too, if you oh, can. My I, I was I was outside and it's humid and I'm sweating. I was outside and it's humid and I have this hair, this curly hair. You should come cut my hair because nobody can come cut my hair. And do, I hate do you having, like this haircut? I hate having hair on my head. I cut my husband's, but he can't cut mine. Okay, I can I can try, but I only know this type of haircut. So, well, you know that's how I wear my hair normally, except for I have this Q-tip on my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am I am here and. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, I was able to, you know, see you guys the the, the last minute. Um, what was your last question, though? Because I think it might apply to, even though he's only been there four days, you get to come back and tell us more. But like, how many has the number of homeless youth or unhoused youth, and and do we have a conversation even about the difference between, you know, what makes a youth unhoused versus an adult? because often mm -hmm. that is a different causation. So maybe we could have you and some of your youth back um, at, at, at a point, because I think that's an actual story that needs to be lifted up in its own right. Right, but. right. Yeah, yeah, we certainly, um, I think it would be really good to know, like focus on an area of, you know, maybe like the, the Twin Cities, for example, like what are the main causes of, of homelessness uh, among youth? Um, see like how it looked like a few years ago how is it looking now um what is the projection also now during covid and also with the you know the um the the halt on um eviction notices um you know how is that gonna look like and how it's affecting um youth and looking at like the difference between like homeless youth and, and homeless adult like what does that even mean or look like um so yeah i would love to have that conversation as well um and then and, and see um you know what what is missing what else that we need to do more and know that you know do you um, know the number one cause of um youth being unhoused in minneapolis yet or i don't know yet so back in the day when we started the table and we did a lot of work with lgbtq plus youth and in fact that was even when we first started having Angie Wong's youth to the table. Um, the number one cause was coming out gay to your family in some ways, coming out as an LGBTQ youth, which also then compounded with often having to engage in survival sex. Um, and that was one of the very first things we ever did at the table. One of our first outcomes was having sheriffs and police at the table. And when the um, county attorney in 2006, I think, decided that they would no longer charge youth who were engaging in survival sex as criminals, right? That the adults who preyed mm -hmm. on them, it wasn't the 14 year old who was looking for a dinner that was the problem. It right. was the, the family that had kicked them out and the, that it, I don't know, I haven't really followed. So would you do something, when, you, when you've been there, like say more than three days and no, like more than just where, like, you know, like, because you are an amazing leader in the community and we would love to have some of those young voices back um, yeah. as well with you if they'd be willing so yeah i would love to i mean that's that's exactly why i'm here um, i'm here to work with youth and and be around them and and uh be inviting and welcoming as well um 
and and listen as much as I can because that's that that's how we can support youth um, uh, by being present and available. So Lauren, what was your final question? Because I wanted to have um, both Asraf and Fun Fun try now, and I can't remember it now because it was a while ago. My for Circle Sharon. Was it Circle? No, but uh, Angie. Angie answered a question that was more about like what are they doing right now or there was a question that you went to right before um, oh yes uh, I was asking what what are they doing as it relates to media and technology to tell their stories um, yeah so fun fun and as like and, and, and Azrov may he might come back and tell us but fun fun mm -hmm. are you do, doing anything to use media to tell your story besides this or I guess, how are you using technology in any way? You, oh. Your your microphone you is muted. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're doing blogging. We're doing uh, on our Facebook. What we're actually doing is uh, uh, we're telling the stories and doing the narratives. But the team that we have that's going out to do photos and actually talk to the community and so forth. Um, I don't think uh, what we're trying to do is actually throw their stories out. Uh, we're, we're not trying to throw our story out saying, oh, look how the food group is showing up, blah, 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 blah. What we're trying to do is show how the food group is showing up um, in terms of what the community is doing. So the narrative is totally different in that way rather than saying, oh, look, we just brought X number of pounds of food and look at, you know, look at these pretty pictures of what's going on. It's more like this is a group that came up and, and started giving out food because, and they don't usually do that. Uh, but this is how they showed up and this is how, you know, how, how they were able to know what they're, so it's a really different kind of storytelling. And the other thing that we're doing too, in terms of our technology is realizing because of all the different groups that we're serving and so forth, and we're now, uh, well, we're not trying to support like community partners that might be really small and so forth, of asking them, well, if you don't have your technology or your Facebook or whatever, you know, do you want our team to come out and do things like that for you, and, you know, and you can post it out any way you like, but you know, do you want that kind of support from us? Uh, we're do using technology, I guess, in, in a way that we're trying to offer to, the, to how the people want to use it. And um, we're not doing anything like innovative like Marnita's table. <laughs> in terms of, convening people in a dizzy and all that kind of things. Well, you will after you finish yet, your training. Right? Yeah, it's like, not yet you aren't. Yeah, not yet, okay, not yet. Yeah, and yes, we are in the process of being creative with the full support of Manita's table. But for, for the technology that we're having now, we're using it differently to amplify differently and, and provide different narratives. That's amazing. That's incredible, thank you. Um, and to close, uh, we have our circle Sharon question, and it is just one hope. What is one hope? Do you have a hope for your community? Um, and if you do, what is that one hope? Um, and for me, I think my hope for my community is that we can continue to tell the truth and not hold back. And for now, that's all. That's all I need. Uh, 
and I will pass it to uh, Ashraf. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. Um, I think, well, this is maybe like a reflection of myself. I would, I would hope that my community can have a good night sleep. Um, you know, a good quality sleep, no nightmares, no, uh, you know, no major anxiety or stress that wakes up, uh, wake us up several times at night. Um, just a relaxing, good night sleep. And you have to pass it to somebody. I'll, I'll pass it to Andrew. Thank you. Um, what I hope for my community, for our community, um, that our passion for what we're doing spreads and people care for each other more deeply. And I'll pass it to Fun Fun. Yeah. I hope that my community will have enough. And because I, I think I profess my care for food, I'll just frame it in enough food. Um, you know, when in my family, the question oftentimes is, have you eaten? And it means more just than eating food. It really means, do you have enough? And I'll, I'll pass it on to Angie. Thanks. Um, this is Angie from Asia Media Access. My hope would be um, to have the to have everyone to wear mask, keep social distance, so we can calm the virus down. Because as now it stands, for all I believe the multimedia arts, the dance and the theater have become non-essential. I cannot have, I cannot go to see a play. I cannot appreciate my Asian dance team's performance. It really hurting me. I will hope everyone follow the precautions so we can calm the virus down soon. And my hope for my community is that all of us, first of all, remain in community, that the word unity is in the word community, and that we reach out the way that many of the people in GRID today do to somebody else who has less, even as we are trying to keep our own noses above water. My hope is that you realize that maybe somebody is held head is underwater and that they need your help and maybe that purpose will help you hold your head a little bit higher above water that together um, that we found some driftwood and some ropes and we are lashing them together and we're climbing up and we're bringing everybody with us and that's my hope that we just keep growing this movement of love authenticity and connection it's been an honor to have you, Fun Fun, Asraf, Angie, of course, our co-producers, Andrew and Lauren. Marnita, signing out from Marnita's Table, episode 15 of our Weather Together podcast. Mm -hmm.
We need an antidote and a cure Cause do you really think Muhammad got a problem with Jehovah? We don't want war Imagine if every prophet was alive And current days amongst you and I You think they would view life like you and I do? Or where they sit and contemplate on why do we live this way? Act and behave this way We still live in primitive today Cause the peace of the destination and war can't be the way There's no way So people just be a woman, be a man Realize that you can change the world by changing yourself And understand that we all just the same So when I count to three, let's change.